Alô! Ha! Welcome to the most muscles and podcast in various sports. Welcome to ABC7 Sports with authority. We are inside the ABC7 Sports Department and we are ready to rock. I'm Casey Pratt. That's Larry Beal. Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. I don't know how all this is going to fit in that tiny little server you have, but uh, we're going to reset the Dubs Dynasty Doomsday Clock. Did Boogie's injury actually help the Warriors, even though we love Boogie? Team Teal, perhaps the team of destiny. Also, we're going to talk Avengers Endgame, Game of Thrones. We're not going to give anything away. No spoilers. But I will say, never let Jon Snow do your battle plan and why you <laughs> should eat rice. I have the science-backed reason for that somewhere around here. I'll find it. Don't you worry. I'll find your rice story. I can't wait to hear that because I love rice. Excellent. I'm in. All right. So we watch a lot of Warriors. We get stressed out. Then we get excited, and then we start to panic again, and then we realize everything's fine. So I think what we want to talk about to start the show, the fragility of a dynasty is that a word? Fragility? Absolutely. Heck yeah. yeah. Uh, fragile, if you want to make it uh, small. But uh, think about all the people that were jumping off the bandwagon just like a little over a week ago when the Warriors could not get it together and focus against the Clippers. It should have been a sweep. Instead, it ends up going six games. You end up having your two star uh, backcourt splash brothers end up with both with ankle injuries coming into this rocket series rested rockets yes the rested rockets <laughs> and then in game two you have Steph and as it happens in real time we're thinking oh no he just broke his finger championship over it's I mean everything just comes crashing down and then James Harden gets hit in the eye, and suddenly he can't see anything, and then and the coach says there's blood coming out of his eye. I mean, it is so fragile. One injury here or there. That's why you never want to play extra games. That's, I mean, it, it drives Steve Kerr crazy what has happened. And just think about where we are, because we went through an 82-game roller coaster, mm-hmm. and six games on top of that. It was so bumpy along the way. But when they put their mind to it, or collective, collective mind, I guess uh, plural would be minds, when they all get the right focus, like, they jump the Rockets from the start in this series. I mean, that's the kind of defense they could have been playing all along, except you'd be exhausted by the end of the regular season, so... Yeah, and there were a lot of points. It doesn't just have to be an injury. There was like the the Draymond Green, Kevin Durant argument that was like, oh no, oh, this yeah. is the end. There was the Steve Kerr getting caught saying something about Draymond Green moment. There's been so many different moments in potential injuries or even Boogie getting hurt. It's just the dynasty is so fragile, and this is why Kerr always says you drink the champagne at the end. It's not easy to do. And I think that with the Warriors, they know exactly what they need to do to get to the promised land. Now, us as passengers, the viewers and fans as passengers along the way, this was the analogy I came up with. I kind of tested this on Larry the other night, but if you were in a car with Dale Earnhardt Jr. and he was driving 140 miles per hour, you'd be in the back seat terrified the entire way. But he'd be sitting there going, no, I got this. He's not nervous. They're not nervous. As we come along for the Warriors Dynasty ride, every bump and every little movement as they're driving this high-performance vehicle scares us. 
It shakes people off the bandwagon. It freaks people out. But all along, they know exactly what effort they need to give, exactly how much defense they need to play, exactly how many games they need to win, and exactly what they do to do it. And it's crazy because, like, the rested Rockets, the banged-up Warriors, the messing around and losing extra games, it, it terrified everybody coming in, and then here they are. Switch flipped. Up two games to none. It's funny because you, you talk about, let's say, you know, Steve Kerr likes to use the analogy filling your cup. Yeah. Oh, this is a fine University of Hawaii uh, water bottle here. But they know. <laughs> it's good for the environment. Exactly how much they need at any given point, And they will give you just enough to, to do <laughs> what they need to do and not and not a drop more. And the not cup a drop doesn't more. runneth over no, until after the championship well, is because, won. Because in year five, <laughs> in year five, they've got it figured out for the most part. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't leave a lot of margin for error, and that's why I think we overreact to what we see. Whereas, you know, how many how many post game interviews did we watch this year? Where you know, what did they have six? home losses of, of 20 points or more, and then the, the the two losses in the playoffs, they blew a 31-point lead at home, and they're like, yeah, yeah, whatever. And it's like, what's going on with you guys? Yeah. Can you just focus for five minutes when you are trying to put a game away? But to them, it's like, we got this. No, they're just pacing themselves. Yeah. It's like, oh, no, they can't win at home. Oh, no, they can't pull it off. And it's just like they're just pacing themselves. They're just toying with everybody. It's crazy to me. Yeah, I think that's it's the benefit of having done this time and time and time again. But I, I, I do think even though we're resetting the Dubs Dynasty doomsday clock. Yet again, every time it moves forward, it ticks back. It's it like does, a Paul Abdul song, <laughs> two steps forward or however many steps back. I don't know. I don't know. But it's, it's clearly reset <laughs> backward at this point. Yeah. Although, I, I don't know. We, we haven't talked about this. To me, it does feel like this is the last ride for this group. There's not, there's, it's all really dependent on what Kevin Durant does. Yeah. But it just feels like, and I don't know if that's their collective mindset where they're like, okay, we know that this thing is going to come apart. At least the Durant part of it will not be the same. Yeah, potentially. I mean, there's another story out uh, now. The the Nets think that they're in the Durant Everybody thinks they're in the Durant sweepstakes. Everybody's in. Doesn't mean that you are. If he, after all of this, and they, they, assuming they do it, he's drenched with champagne and is just so overwhelmed by the moment. He goes, you know what? I can't leave you guys. Well, he wants a statue outside the Chase Center. Well, but yeah. He said so himself. <laughs> yes. Uh, he said similar <laughs> things at OKC. Uh, hey, but the Warriors so. can pay him more. They can give him a brand new facility to play at. They can give him an opportunity to make history. I mean, you're looking at a team that could continue to win championships after they win potentially their third straight. That's rarefied air. Think about this. You're not going to do that anywhere else. He could be one of the few people that has parking at the Chase Center. Because nobody else is going to have it. Well, Joe Lego will, Steph will. But, um, you know, all, all that's available, whether it's the venue, whether it's the money, whether it's the team, it all is on the side of the Warriors. The only thing that's on the side of, let's say, Nets, Knicks, whatever, is that he could go to a team where he would be the man as opposed mm-hmm. to sharing with Steph or sharing with Westbrook. And so if that's the most important thing to him, that's about the only justification that I could see for leaving. But we, we don't know, and maybe he doesn't even know at this point. You want to talk about some X's and O's stuff on the court in this series? Go ahead. I think that's Drop relevant. It. Um, 
So defensive intensity uh, is something that they're finally bringing at a championship level. And when Boogie Cousins went down in that game two at Oracle, you know, you could see from the replays and you knew it was, it was going to be uh, potentially a, a serious injury. The one thing it did do, the unintended consequence slash benefit, is that it made it easy for Steve Kerr to go, all right, look, against the Rockets, we got to go Hamptons 5 in our starting lineup. So yes. Andre Iguodala moves in, and he's been playing great. And it just, Andre's presence in that lineup ignites their defense in a way that allows them to get off to good starts in games. Now, maybe it would have been the same thing with Boogie, but uh, the other thing that they're they're doing now is the Warriors are a team that the, their defense has been built on these all these switching principles. So you have all these guys, uh, theoretically 6-7. And there oh, goes the water jug. <laughs> that is, let me show you. <laughs> Aloha! <laughs> if you're listening you to the podcast. This is, this is high quality material right here. <laughs> Larry's water jug just took a spill. If you're watching on YouTube in crystal clear HD, you probably got to see that happen. It is intact. Talking about quality <laughs> merchandise from the University of Hawaii. Anyway, um... I was talking about the switching on defense. They, they normally switch everything, and and it drives me crazy sometimes because old school defense is switching. You're soft if you switch. Just fight through the pick. Fight through the screen. And what we're seeing now, especially with the games with, with Harden and and Steph, and they're, they're kind of messing with him because they're 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 jumping out and and showing that they're going to blitz. They show and recover. So it doesn't. What the Rockets want is they want. Harden to go against Steph. Mm -hmm. The Warriors don't want that. They'd much rather have it be Harden against Iguodala or yeah. Harden against Clay. And don't draw or, those fouls, Steph. Yeah, well, that's another whole. You got to stop reaching. But they're getting away from the the switch everything mentality and and employing a little bit more strategy where he'll he'll come out and rush Harden and then scamper back defensively so that the better defender can go up against James. Uh, you're not going to stop him, but but it is it is a new wrinkle that we haven't seen from the Warriors. So I think I think they're in good shape. Here here's a, a question I just cuz a lot of people it's funny. Everybody was on the bandwagon like uh, why even play this season, right? Cuz they got mm -hmm. Boogie, they mm -hmm. five all-stars. I mean, it's over. They're, there's nobody's even going to give them any kind of a a contest on the way. Then we we see the wobbliness and everybody's in the last couple of weeks with the Rockets playing great and everybody jumping off during the Clippers series, and now everybody's back. Oh, the Rockets Fully are done. Back. The Rockets will have to win four out of the next five to beat the Warriors. Which seems impossible against the best team in basketball. Here's my question to you. Let's assume that the Warriors beat the Rockets in whatever many games. Do they keep the switch turned on in the next round against either Denver or Portland, or do yeah. we like go... That's, you know what? We got this. That's my <sighs> biggest fear, and I almost made the point earlier in the conversation, but they have played down to their opposition all year long. This isn't the hungry, trying-to-prove-themselves version of the Warriors that we saw in the first championship run where they'd blow everybody out, Curry would sit for the whole fourth quarter. This no. is a team that plays down to their competition. Now, whether that is a critical fault in their game or if it's just them knowing exactly what it takes to win as many games as they need to win, that's up for debate. But I find that the Rockets, to me, are the other best team in the NBA. And if you get past the Rockets this early, I could see a major letdown coming if they can't focus. So that will be the biggest test. Now, if they do get past the Rockets, I mean, to me, that 
it's warriors versus warriors at this point. I would agree with that. Yeah. I, I think it's it's their talent that's so supreme that, and I've used this line. And before. now their experience level too. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah, you're five of this, but you can be so good you're no good. Yeah. Because you think, oh, I just got this. So we don't have to come out and play this defense. Although if it's if it's Damian Lillard, Damian Lillard, I think you know. He's trying to make a statement, especially when he plays at Oracle Arena, mm-hmm. and I think that would get the Warriors' attention, yeah. perhaps more than the Nuggets with Jokic. Although watching Jokic, it's 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 amazing what he's able to do. He looks like the the least athletic guy in the gym. He does, yeah. Uh, but he's able to get wherever he wants to go, and and his shot is so soft. It comes down to respect and how much they respect their opponent, and you can tell they respect the heck out of the Rockets. Yeah, they have what Steve Kerr likes to talk about: uh, appropriate fear. How about how the officiating controversy completely blew up on the Rockets with them and their uh, their report about. NBA officials and how they basically got screwed over. This was pathetic. Uh, it was pathetic. To leak after you lost a game, your own officiating report saying why you should have won not only Game 7, but a bunch of other games. It's just the worst possible look. I don't understand how you could be so in your feelings that you don't understand how this is going to be perceived. You missed... 27 consecutive (laughs) three-pointers in Game 7 against the Warriors, and then you cobbled together a one-sided report explaining how you should have won that game? Seriously? It's it's, it's pretty hilarious, That is the worst look I can possibly imagine, and then to leak it after losing yet another game. And that that team gets more foul calls than anybody. I know. The strategy behind it just seems so lame that... At some point, somebody in a meeting would have stood up and said, hey, I don't know if this is such a great idea. Because every team in the league, in virtually every sport, everybody thinks that the the refs are screwing them over worse than the the other guys are getting all the calls. But there's statistics to back it up. Well, but, you know. I mean, Harden gets every call. Oh, oh, for sure. But, I mean, the stuff that they're looking at that's in their favor, and all of it is about the landing spot and all that, and, and, and by the time you know, people are listening on the podcast, that may hopefully will be such Long a long it's not, not even relevant. But just the notion that you would spend an inordinate amount of time compiling results that you're then sending to the league, which you know the league is going to go, boop, and just say, yeah, we that's don't agree. That's never going to help you. We it's don't just agree. like you say, arguing a foul call isn't going to get them to change their mind. Sure. You just did this times a thousand. Right, and and you have two teams with the Warriors and the Rockets that have been at war with the refs for most of the year. And so then to pour a little gasoline on this fire before game two, I just thought it was such an odd move and, and so badly timed. And it... Look, you know what the league is going to say. They're going to stand by their refs. Even, I mean, they they did in the two-minute report admit after game one that there were three missed calls that went in the favor of the Rockets. But it's not like anybody's going to overturn a decision. We're not going to, oh, no. you know what? Let's give the Rockets the, the, give them the, game. the, the trophy. Yeah, give, give, them, the trophy. give them game seven. Give them um, the title. Give them all of it. So Yeah, that's never going to work. And what it did was the Warriors are a team, especially when they had Boogie and Draymond, that really get on the officials. And now this suddenly painted them as the good guys with the officials. They took the tact immediately of just saying, oh, no, we don't agree with this. Let's yeah. just play the game. We love the game. Let's yes. play the game we love. And and now suddenly the Rockets have not only made themselves look like complete losers and embarrassed themselves, they've also painted themselves into a corner with the officials, which is just, 
I don't see the strategy at all. Here. Well, I thought in game two, everybody was pretty well behaved with the exception of, of Chris Paul, who was jumping around toward the end of the game when when James Harden finally got a foul call on a contested three, where it was clearly a foul, but he was he was kind of showing up the refs in that game by over-gesturing that, yes, they finally made this particular call that we're so concerned about and so focused on. It'll be interesting to see how the, the series plays out. And, and once you shift venue also, the crowd gets into it, the refs' perception sometimes will change. Um, that's why it's important to have veteran officials in the postseason when you, when you talk about two of the best teams Well, you know league. what you do? You don't play to get the foul. You well, play yeah. to win the game. Uh, Edwards. No, yeah, you don't. That's what but you everybody's, do. The, the, you outplay what, the other team. What period. happened with Zaza and Kawhi Leonard two years ago set the stage for everybody kicking their kicking their feet out. So the Rockets have become the Rockets in the dance they're kicking. line. Yes, they're, they're kicking. kicking. They're kicking. They're, they're, they're oh, see, so yeah, we can I see got, a foot coming gotta, out there on the YouTube. On, I gotta work we can on see it on the YouTube a little bit. That's that's yeah, flexibility. I gotta get get. Now, the stretching going. another team that I think is ready to win it all is Team Teal and the San Jose Sharks. And I am used to the San Jose Sharks building up false hope and tearing it all down every single year. It's just what they do. I but wish I producer think it's, Scott was here. Because yeah, we have a producer named Scott Mooring who's the biggest Sharks fan on the planet, and he is just, like, shell-shocked at all times because he's waiting <laughs> for the disappointment, the inevitable disappointment. Now, this is funny. I actually think the Sharks are the team of destiny this year. And it wasn't Game 7 that made me think that. It was Game 1 against the Vegas Golden Knights. Hmm. The first goal of the game, you'll remember, Brent Burns fires a slap shot. It hits Joe Pavelski right in the mouth and goes straight in the goal. And to me, that was the moment where I knew the Sharks were going to win the Stanley Cup. Wow. And I'm going to tell you why. That's a reach, but In the playoffs, there's always one bad bounce, one bad post, one bad ricochet, shout out ricochet, that messes up the Sharks. This one not only hit their captain in the face and knocked out his teeth, it went in the net for the first goal. Could you imagine if that thing took slightly different bounce? Not only does your captain have his teeth knocked out, now he's out of the game, you're not up one nothing. Everyone's freaking out, and here comes that impending sense of doom yet again. Instead, they're up one nothing. Pavelski gets to come back in like a hero. They win that game, and then after the game, Pavelski even talks to the media. Now, that to me was the moment I knew they were going to win it all. Then Game 7 happened. They well, were down three goals well, wait, late wait, in the wait, third. Wait, wait, During Game 7, were you still convinced that this was Not when they were down three okay. goals in the third. But that was the, the moment. And then what happened? Pavelski, ugly, ugly fall on the ice, blood everywhere, gut punch. As a Sharks fan, you're looking at that and going, oh, man, Game 7, down three goals. Captain is just out. Not good. I mean, you're almost sick to the stomach seeing the blood pour out of his head. And then the next thing you know, it's just goal, 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 goal. And they end up not only tying, but taking the lead. And it was almost like fate intervened. I've never seen anything like it. I've never seen something get so low and then so high in that short of a span in sports. It was unreal. And to to pull that off, nothing can stop them now. That was the night the Sharks became the Sharks. I'm thinking poor Joe Pavelski has given... So much of his 
mouth and his head yes. to this playoff series. You can't for, lose like that. For for the sake of Joe Pavelski, I hope they do go all the way. And the sake of Joe Thornton. You need to get him a trophy. Sure. You need to get him the Stanley Cup. But uh, he's dealt with a bunch of serious injuries in the past and, and played through them. Joe Pavelski is just busted up at this point, although the word is he might be able to come back at some point in this series. They're not ruling him out anyway. But, but at least uh, in the postseason, he'll yeah. probably definitely make it back, and that's the key. If you can stymie the avalanche mostly without your captain, not to mention all the division winners are out, I mean, this is the easiest path to the Stanley Cup they've ever had. Well, that's the, that's you know the benefit that they have with the upsets. The one seeds in both conferences – Calgary and Tampa Bay both lost, and so that does pave the way a little bit more for the Sharks. Fate. Uh, but, well, you know, there's other good teams left, and so we'll see if they end up in the next round, whether it's St. Louis or, or whatever down the road, Columbus maybe, who knows. But there is also uh, something of a now-or-never feel with Absolutely. Team Teal because their payroll is right around $80 million. They're in the top five in the league, and their owner, I love his name, Hasso Plotner. Hasso Plot, And he has said in the past, basically his position has been, look, I'll pay the money for a championship team, but you've got to deliver a championship team. In other words, he doesn't want to spend all this money to acquire an Eric Carlson and then have the team get bounced in the first round of the playoffs, which almost happened, or not make the playoffs. So, like, if they don't win it all this year expect some significant changes with the Sharks. I'm sure all the players know it, that they're not going to maintain an $80 million payroll. Yeah, and Jumbo's not staying forever. And yeah, I, I mean, mean we're, he's ready to ride off in the sunset. So much like the Warriors dynasty, it's almost like this well, Except long, the Sharks don't have a dynasty. Yeah, but they make the playoffs every year. I mean, that's, Pretty much. it's not enough anymore for Sharks fans. They need to win it all. They need to, to, to celebrate. I, need, I think this is the year. Do if it's it not Joe. this year, yeah, do it for both Joes. Do it for do it, do it for, for the, Joes. the Joes and do it for Hasso. Hasso. Hasso Plotner. Hasso Hope Prime I'm Rib. His name right. Good restaurant. Um, speaking I of have. restaurants, oh, are we gonna are we gonna do the question right now? I have, in my hand. Okay. Something very special. <laughs> Our producer we, we Leonard tell, tell everybody you're is not an available here today, so we are going it alone here and. Every show we let him ask us a question. So in this sealed envelope is his question, and we have not opened it yet. Are, are we even recording? Do we know we're recording? I hope we're recording. Yeah, I did it myself. A lot of and shouting that, that for could nothing. Be bad. All right, are we ready for the question? Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Right. You, get, you, you unfold that. I'm going to get something. Oh, my. This is a good one. And it'll also be a great segue into our Tell Me a Story segment. Let's see if we can read this. I'm going to hold it up I'm back. for YouTube. If you're on YouTube, you can see it. The question is, if you were a character in Game of Thrones, how would you claim the Iron Throne? Oh, goodness. Wow, that's, that's deep. I thought it was, was going to be an Avengers question. If I w- we were an Avenger, who would we be? But uh, If you were an Avenger, how would you claim the Iron Throne? <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> All right, so that's our question. Oh, man. Don't, don't, let, me, let, me, let me look at this again. You want to look me, at the question me, again uh, while you, you think he's stalling? Why don't you do the, you, you answer it first? Yes, I am. I would you, do it with a much better battle plan than uh, young oh, Aegon don't Targaryen. My, don't take my theme of Jon <laughs> Snow, the worst tactician in the history of military maneuvers. Oh, man. Okay. I don't know how I would claim the Iron Throne because, I mean, it really just depends on your bloodlines, essentially. 
You well, have to have some claim to the throne. You you kill people off to get the throne. Okay, so if you don't have the claim to the Iron Throne, you yeah, have bro. to essentially <laughs> wipe everybody out. Right. So uh, I mean, no spoilers, but I would probably, I would probably do it much like Tyrion Lannister with with wit and smarts, because I don't think I have like the uh, sword wielding skills. I've never wielded a sword. Um, so you put, is that why you put the glasses on today? Yeah, to I put look, the glasses on so I could be smart. So I would use it with cunning. I would try to side up with, with a lot of the, uh, the smart people like Tyrion and Varys and, and, uh, try to play the, the little finger game, so to speak, I didn't without, without well making the him. critical misstep. So I would probably use that and, and trick people into doing my bidding. And then when the time is right, stab someone in the back, nice. take that throne. Nice. Yeah. Evil style. I, this, That's how I would do it. This doesn't really match up with my theory on this that we've talked about because everybody that is a Game of Thrones fan was wondering heading into episode three who was going to live and who was going to die and you know how this would ultimately play out and, and what series of events would take place that would get whomever yeah. uh, on the throne at the end. See, my personal feeling is that the person that occupies the throne will be the baby Jon Snow's baby with... With Daenerys? With Daenerys, the queen mm -hmm. of, of dragons. Yeah. So I can't really answer or the question. Or Cersei's baby. I've got, I've got a... Well, that, that would work. Like, maybe what, there'll be like a baby battle. Uh, two little battle kids, of the babies. Two little toddlers. Yeah. So I can't... I can't say how I would claim the throne. But if you were just, in the show... I would show, be born into it at that point. Or if you'd be in, making all the babies to try to take <laughs> the throne. <laughs> um, Let's not go there. Yeah. Um... Yeah, so if you were a character in the show, just you being in that era right. or fantasy realm, so to speak, what what would you do? That's a tough one. Um, I think you basically you're gonna have to you're gonna have to do a lot of what you said. You're gonna have to outsmart some people, and you're just gonna have to have to shank some people. Yeah, uh, to get when the to time the top. is right. Don't yeah. be in the front lines. Yeah, don't be in the battles. Don't, 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 be the one sending the people to the battles. Don't mount a horse with 2,000 of your best friends and ride off into the darkness <laughs> hoping to find your opponent uh, who's about to destroy you. Don't do that, Jon Snow. All right. Uh, that's, that's one way to do it. This is a perfect segue into tell me a story. We're going to call this story Endgame of Thrones. And I think it's we've had one of the most spoiled visually spectacular entertainment weekends in the history of the world. And so my story, I'll keep it short and then we can get into the real stuff. Monday was my birthday. I'm not looking for birthday wishes, but the story is my kids were at school. My wife was at work. We literally never get to the movies because we have two little kids that won't sit through them. And I was like, all right, if I'm going to see Avengers Endgame, this is my shot. So I, I woke up in the morning. I got the first showing, 11 a.m. How many people were in there in the theater? Actually, a pretty good amount. Really? Like, the concession lines were so long, I didn't even go get popcorn. It was so long. So there's a lot of people there at 11 a.m. on a Monday. On a Monday? On a Monday. That's amazing. So I, I, I got up. I realized I had to fold some kids' laundry because if I don't act, make it look like I actually tried to do something around the house, I'll get in big trouble, even if it's my birthday. No, on your birthday, you should so, have no responsibility. So I folded laundry while watching the Battle of Winterfell again, the second time. As soon as that ended, I had to rush straight out, straight into Endgame, and I watched that too. So in one essential sitting, in one like five-hour span, 
I was treated to both Game of Thrones and Avengers Endgame, and I have to say, I left the theater feeling like everything we do is so small and insignificant. Like the way that they managed to pull off both of these projects independently, uh, each of them are amazing in their own ways. I mean, unbelievably amazing. Just spectacular viewing. Yeah, I mean, what they're doing and on the scale they're doing it at, which is poor grammar, but uh, <laughs> it's, I mean, you you can't do it in ordinary TV. I mean, you mm-hmm. need the backing of, well, first of all, it costs a fortune Millions to do and it, millions but of dollars. But to, to do all the, the, the CGI, the, the oh, graphics, yeah. and all the, the set construction, and it's it's just, it's, it is incredible uh, what what both have been able to accomplish you know game of thrones more so because this is season eight of Mm -hmm. game of thrones and you know there's not a lot of medieval settings around where you can just go park yourself for months at a time to shoot i mean there's some i mean you you know you could shoot in some castles and things like that but to to recreate entire cities oh yeah um, or um areas where all of these characters are are and for long periods of time. Yeah, no, like, it's I looked up some figures. It took fifty five days to shoot that Battle of Winterfell for that episode, The Longest Night. Um the budget for the season was ninety million. It averages out wow. to about fifteen million per episode. Ooh. Eight characters, I'm not gonna spoil anything, you've probably seen it by now. Eight characters die in that episode. That's about one point eight seven five million per character death if you average out the cost. The battle the show 82 minutes long 750 people were involved so it was the longest battle scene in cinematic history on a television show and i mean it was just spectacular it could could have been a lot shorter if uh (laughs) if uh, if john had some smarts about him dig a ditch wait for your white walkers to come Funnel them. Funnel them into one choke point. Strafing run with dragons. Then have your dragons fry them with fire. And, well, instead of a 90-minute show, episode three, it would have been about, like, seven minutes. So how much did Avengers Endgame net opening weekend? $1.2 billion. With a B. Dollars, which is incredible. Now, one thing you have to keep in mind with those statistics, which get blown up every year is that it, it it costs more to go to the movies now yeah so that's that is a factor it's not necessarily the sheer number of people that have seen the movie because obviously if you went back to whatever year gone with the wind came out mm-hmm. you know it's probably cost 75 cents yeah. to go to the theater so so their overall revenue would be much lower but 1.2 billion is crazy it is crazy now i'm going to ask you a very serious question <laughs> At the end of Endgame, okay. did you cry? No. No? No, no. why would I cry? Because it was emotional. I, I was not. Uh, no, I didn't. I didn't. Larry feel. didn't cry. I didn't cry either. I. Whoa, were you oh, trying to bait me I was me trying to bait you into it. <laughs> <laughs> no, the truth is, is I was like, wow, man, that was, that was all heavy, and we're not going to spoil it if you haven't seen it. It's just like, the movie's amazing, and, and it, it, it does get heavy, and there was a lot of things happening, and... 
And I was there by myself like a total dork. And crying. I was like, I can't crying. be sitting here by myself in a movie crying on my birthday. So I fought it back. So sad. No tears. I, the, the picture I have <laughs> is so sad. It's just, you folded laundry. You went by yourself. Oh, the line for popcorn was too long. The so you didn't go, go, you didn't go get popcorn. You're hungry. Yeah. You're malnourished. I'm just crying you're just, by you're myself. You're emotionally distraught. In my because, chair. I mean, it's just... It, what, it a sad, sad, sad what a sad, sad birthday. Yeah, That's, it was, it was like, actually an awesome experience. I mean, watching both those back-to-back was pretty cool. I, but I did not cry. Well, I'll say this. Some characters didn't make it. And uh, Chris Evans, before the movie, had said he was not going to do uh, any more uh, Captain America films. So it was not a surprise. Although he, w- he doesn't die at Mm-mm. the end. No. But they took a creative way and, and uh, took a path that made it obvious what his future would be. Yes, yeah, so there's so, a lot of information already out there yeah, about it. Um, and um, I thought the movie was too long. Three hours was too long. I thought the first hour was a lot of setup. I thought the last hour was, was epic in terms of what was going on. It's just on amazing. And, and, uh, CGI, everything. Yeah, you're right. There were times in the movie where I, I actually thought I was being punked. Like, wait, I'm, is this a real movie? <laughs> yeah, thinking, <laughs> I could go get popcorn right now. If I, I, if I, I right thought now. about going to get popcorn a hundred times, and all yeah. 100 of those times it would have been a great time to go get popcorn because there's a lot of downtime at the beginning. But cinematically, the whole thing was incredible. All, all around, just massive feats of human engineering and in cinema very impressive while we're on the subject of food Mm. our news item of the week i actually have two of them but this is interesting because a lot of people are you know talk about whether it's the keto diet or years ago it was the atkins diet or the diet i did where i didn't just eat anything for like a month and just had shakes that was pretty effective. It worked. It worked Starvation very well. yeah. will work. Two people. shakes a day, then a super healthy meal. No gluten, no carbs, no sugar, no beer, no alcohol, no no anything that's good. It worked. It worked great. If you have you ever watched Naked and Afraid? I have. Yeah. So they lose about uh, a pound a day. Yeah, I was losing about a pound uh, a day. Same diet. Yeah. Same diet. Except, except I wasn't in the wild. Were, and you were naked, thankfully. All right. <laughs> but I'm bum. Okay. So back to the diet research that I have right here. He's holding up a paper. That's that's for the audio. For you not on YouTube. So um, the headline is, eating more rice could help fight obesity. This sounds good. Now, most people think, you know, if you eat carbs, too many carbs, you're probably going to gain weight. Yeah. But this was a study that was done uh, in Japan, I believe, where they were looking at obesity rates and it's low in countries that eat rice as a staple food. So they recommend a, a Japanese food or what they call an Asian food-style diet. So they're saying eating more rice should be recommended to protect against obesity, even in Western countries. Now, you know, th- there's, a, there's a study and a diet for everybody, but this apparently was conducted in 136 countries. Mm-hmm. So not a small sample size. No. Um, and... They're not really sure why it works this way. Obviously, you can't eat ridiculous amounts well, of rice. Well, you can't just eat, like, tubs of fried rice either. I mean, it's got to be, like, brown rice or healthy. It doesn't say that in the study, though. So you can eat a tub of fried rice. What the, I like that diet. Yeah. It says it's possible that the fiber, nutrients, and plant compounds found in whole grains may increase feelings of fullness and prevent overeating. In, okay. So if you eat a modest amount of rice, maybe that will help fight off the hunger pains. Yeah. And uh, so that's 
That's that's science. That's science right here. Go get some rice, uh, which is uh, interesting because uh, when I was, uh, was well, coming up on two years ago with the Warriors on their uh, preseason trip in China, mm-hmm. uh, we were at uh, a photo shoot. Actually, it was at a restaurant, and the Warriors were taking their, their team pictures. And this was in, uh, I think we were in Shanghai at that point. But uh, Andre Iguodala grabbed, he was starving, and he grabbed a bowl of white rice. And then uh, he said, oh, I shouldn't be eating this. because I said, why? He goes, well, it's not part of my program. And, you know, I, and he went on and on. And we were just listening to an interview earlier in the day about him talking about he only drinks water. That's it. You know, he's never, only water. He's never uh, had a sip of alcohol to this point. I think he and Harrison Barnes were on that original 2015 team they had. And that's why I'm not in the NBA. Yes, because <laughs> too, much, too much drinking. But now I can take him this this study. Yeah, bring it to him. He'll thank study you. This study, the rice is good for you. And then, and then you two weeks it. later, he won't be able to dunk the ball anymore, and, well, and he'll he'll blame you. You have to uh, not, Moderation. not get too excessive, exactly. Uh, which ties into the next story that because a lot of people are crazy for guacamole mm-hmm. this, I'm, I'm neutral about it i the, like it i'm not over the top these are supposed to be news stories it, it turns out well, this is now kind of a diet report here but anyway there's a, a new thing called guacamole cheese because <laughs> people are crazy about cheese and they're crazy about guacamole it's it's that like sounds reese's, gross to me it's like reese's piece you know you take the chocolate and the peanut butter you put them together now, that smash sounds good them to together me. yeah and then you get uh, guacamole cheese it's called Amante guacamole cheese, cow's milk gouda blended with real avocados, lime juice, chili tomato, onion, and garlic, created by a Dutch company. Uh, the one problem with this, well, I'm not, I'm not crazy for cheese to begin with, but the price, $24.99 per pound of guac <laughs> cheese. You really have to be committed to guac cheese. And I bet you it's a putrid color of green. I can't tell because the photo on your paper, there's black and white, but I yeah, bet I you guacamole that. cheese looks like something you would not want to eat. I don't know. I don't know. People that are into guacamole and or cheese that sounds certainly would uh, be down for that. But $24.99, I'm, like for, a, for an NBA finals party, I wonder how much guac cheese we should order for the newsroom. At ABC Seven, <laughs> none. <laughs> They'll devour almost anything out there. Any newsroom in any con- any state, any country, anywhere. You put free food in front of people in a newsroom. Oh, it's it, gone. You might get your hand bit off if you reach at the wrong yeah. time. It's it's dangerous. Yeah, you think Joey Chestnut is impressive? Uh, no, wait till you see a newsroom. Take a look at some newsroom writers when uh, free cookies, pizza. when <laughs> free pizza and cookies <laughs> are brought out. It's uh, <laughs> it's like piranhas at feeding time. It's crazy. Well, we hope you'll be like piranhas at feeding time coming to subscribe to this podcast. I like the way we're Follow us in. on this podcast. We oh. are available everywhere. Podcasts are available, I think. We're on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud. You can not only listen to us, but you can watch us drop our water bottles and make weird faces yeah. on YouTube. This show is also on video. Crystal clear HD, or you can just go to abc7news.com slash with authority, and all the links, all the shows, everything is archived right there. And for your sadly, as Ernie Johnson would say, still unsullied by sponsorship. <laughs> Despite, soon. Yeah, so that's coming. Oh, tell them about the, the great gifts. The great gifts? That are coming. They're legal, coming, too. Legal is we approved. We have great, great gifts. gifts. They're approved. 
we could say you can wear them. They're awesome. Should we really get super specific about them? No, to save that for another. We'll save it. You go, you'll find out soon. We're going to put all that information out there. Everything is up. abc7news.com slash with authority. Like us, subscribe, rate us. It helps us a lot. We're doing this for free, for fun, and for you. So We're doing it for free? We would sort of. Uh, anyway, <laughs> <laughs> well, may not be able to make the next pod. Uh, we should mention there will be bobbleheads. There could be jerseys. Yeah. There could be things. But you can't. We have you, all kinds. You can't of stuff. win them unless you subscribe, and that's the first step. So I'm trying. Help me. Help you. Click the button, please. Yeah. And with that, aloha.